The Rural Health Voice, Episode 8, Telehealth. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Are you interested in telehealth but aren't sure how to start? Dr. Kathy Wiberly, director of the Mid-Atlantic Telehealth Resource Center, answered my questions about the benefits and complexities of telehealth and how Matrix can help. I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, I was looking at your website, and I see that the, the Matrix mission is to provide technical assistance and other resources in order to advance the adoption utilization of telehealth. What does technical assistance look like? What types of services do you provide? So we are really kind of soup to nuts. Um, we will do anything from answering your most basic, you know, email question about reimbursement all the way to hand-holding you uh, through setting up a telehealth program. Um, the only restrictions that we really have are that we are federally funded and that funding has been level funded for a long time. So um, we do have to limit kind of the number of hours we can provide. And right now it's at about 10 hours per client per year. Um, but other than that, we really do everything from soup to nuts. Now, I see two terms thrown around quite a bit. I see telehealth and I see telemedicine. Are, are there interchangeable or is there a difference between those two terms? Um, I have always viewed telehealth as the broader piece and telemedicine as very direct clinical services between a patient and a clinician. And so with telehealth, we're looking at everything from, you know, your live video conference to your using mobile apps to uh, text messaging, just any form of using electronic communications technology to enhance the delivery of healthcare. When I hear about telehealth, people are typically talking about improving access to care in rural communities, especially access to specialists. Are there other benefits to telehealth? Absolutely. So I think when the, historically telehealth started with this kind of rural hub and spoke model where you know, rural communities couldn't access specialists, but we have really just gone way beyond that um, right now to everything from primary care um, to managing chronic disease to encouraging healthy behaviors. I mean, there is very little that you can't do at this point with telehealth to facilitate um, act both access to care and quality of care. And I think we're really looking at quality of care right now more than just access. Um, so for example, if you have an elderly patient that cannot leave the home, how do we monitor that person's health? And how do we just give assurance to family members that they are being taken care of? Um, telehealth comes into play in a lot of ways in that situation from monitoring their vital signs all the way to checking on whether they're, you know, entering the kitchen and getting food. Um, so I think, you know, we really have to think broadly about the applications of telehealth. If I see a specialist through telehealth, who pays the bill? Does my insurance company cover that? What about like Medicare and Medicaid? So the the one challenge of all of telehealth is the reimbursement factor um, because it is truly complicated. Um, every payer source has its own set of what it will and won't pay for. So Medicare has historically um, 
only paid for services that are done by live video between a certain set of types of clinicians and a patient who is physically located in a either non-MSA or rural and medically underserved area and they have to be in a facility. Um, that is a requirement by law. Um, CMS has kind of developed a bunch of workarounds. Not, it's not because they don't want to reimburse for telehealth, but because the Congressional Budget Office has scored it as if it were a budget-breaking deal. Um, so CMS has, over the past few years, really developed a bunch of workarounds on that. So basically, in some ways, they've declassified telehealth um, and called some aspects of it, you know, chronic care management. They've... Um, put it into managed care contracts um, and ACO model so that it's not a direct fee for service and therefore have gotten around that requirement um, in the last physician's um, fee schedule that's proposed or actually real for 2019. They've included something called the virtual visit um, as a way to for clinicians to manage their own patients um, and in, in some sense pre prevent an avoidable office visit. So, uh, a physician or clinician can get reimbursed for that virtual visit if it does truly prevent um, that patient having to come into the office and to bill for an office visit. So that's kind of the Medicare side of things um, and the complexity. Then Medicaid gets even more complex because Medicaid is dictated by the states. And so every state has its own set of what it will and won't reimburse for. Um, some states are very progressive and reimbursed for the full range of services with full range of providers and includes direct to consumer um, to the home and other states have very, very strict limitations. And then when you add private payers to the mix, again, you have a mixture. Um, some states have what's called parity legislation. Um, that's basically mandating private payers to reimburse for telehealth visits as if it were in person, if that's a covered service. Um, and even within that, there's complications because with um, even with those laws in place, sometimes it, they don't apply to self-insured plans. Sometimes they don't apply to um, products that are not on the commercial market. And so that that is really the true challenge right now is navigating that whole reimbursement sphere. So it's very state specific. This isn't that you can say it's this works in Virginia and this is the work, way it works everywhere. It really depends on what's going on on the ground in your state. Absolutely. So Medicare is the only thing that is consistent across all states. Everywhere else is very state specific. We know that people in rural communities are more likely to be uninsured. Is telehealth an option for them? Are free clinics and community health centers using telehealth? Yes, absolutely. So telehealth is definitely becoming more and more utilized by both free clinics and uh, community health centers. Um, there are some challenges with the community health center model um, in terms of Medicare, in that Medicare allows community centers to community health centers to be the originating site or where the patient is located, but does not allow them to be the distant site provider. Meaning, if I were uh, federally qualified health center and I had five center sites and let's say one psychiatrist, um, that psychiatrist can't actually provide telehealth and get reimbursed for it um, to its 
satellite clinic sites under Medicare. Under Medicaid, it is uh, up to the state to determine. And the complexity of that, again, is that some states are silent about whether they will or will not reimburse, which leaves a big question mark. Some states are very explicit, saying, yes, Medicaid, um, FQHCs can be um, distant site providers, and others actually say, we're just going to follow Medicare guidelines, so therefore we restrict that. So again, it's complicated. We are also seeing free clinics starting to use this model um, to provide services for their patients. Some of them are uh, getting foundation funding to pay for the clinical services. Um, others are using their providers from home um, and Providers are willing to volunteer if they don't have to actually come into the clinic. Um, it's more convenient for them. So to be able to give them the technology and access um, allows them to volunteer more um, of their time and their services. If I see a specialist through telehealth, who gets paid? Is that the clinic where I'm sitting or the specialist that's on the screen? So it will, again, depend on the model, the business model that's being used, and there are a lot out there. But um, under a contract model, um, which a lot of larger hospitals and health systems use, the uh, clinic would just provide a um, either a flat rate reimbursement or a contractual, you know, one hour a week, um, we'll pay you this amount and you'll provide the services. Um, some assign the billing rights so that under that contract, you know, the provider will get paid by the facility, whether a patient shows up or not. Um, but the facility can take on the billing rights of that provider and bill for the professional fee. And then other providers will actually bill the professional fee themselves. Now, you mentioned earlier that one of the services that can be provided through telehealth is primary care. But I also know that both the Virginia Rural Health Association and the National Rural Health Association have long advocated that supporting health care providers in rural communities isn't just good for access to health care. It's also a necessary part of the economic health of that entire community. How does telehealth support that economic health if the provider is somewhere else? So I think we have been approaching telehealth as an either or or proposition. You know, you either provide telehealth or you're in the community. And I think when we really think about primary care, we need to also think about workforce availability and um, retaining the workforce and creating quality of life for your providers. And so I think it's not an either or proposition. Um, there are some providers who... Um, are happy to be in the community, but they can only be in there for, you know, a few hours a week. Um, and that's great. But th what if, you know, the patient has a need when they're not there? Or some communities just don't have the population size to support a full-time practice. And so how do we provide um, for those clinicians if they're living in a community and they don't have enough work to support um, a a living. And so by offering telehealth and making that an option, you could have a provider that's seeing people in the community, physically located in the community, but also seeing patients from other communities um, or dividing their time between several communities and being able to access that provider um, even when they're not physically located there. So I think we really need to think about all those options. Okay, so with that in mind, could a, a group of rural providers that are 
in different communities form some sort of network so that maybe one type of specialist is in one county and another type is in a different county, and then they could share the services of the various specialists between all of them? Absolutely. And I think we are seeing just huge emerging models of interprofessional care where um, they're really virtual practices. So you might have five or six different people, some uh, specialty care providers, some primary care providers, some mental health providers, all basically creating a virtual practice together, and none of them are physically located in the same space. So those providers, who who can provide telehealth? Are there, are there different requirements rather than a face-to-face visit? I, I'm not sure this is on medical school curriculums at this point. How do you be a telehealth provider? Yeah, so this is one of the challenges that we're facing right now. Um, and one of the areas that I have a major soapbox um, issue on is, you know, we are really not doing a good job training providers through their health professions education programs right now. Um, there are a lot of nursing schools that are starting to build this into their curricula, but for the most part, medical schools are not. Um, The major reason they say they aren't is because uh, there's just no room to add one more item to all the requirements that's already there. And I think what we need people to understand is that this is not, telehealth is not an extra specialty area. It's really something that can be integrated into what they're already doing. So for example, um, if you take the analogy that telehealth is a tool and we just teach people how to use tools, you know, we don't build in a special class on how to use a stethoscope um, and that make that an extracurricular piece and, and assign credits. We just use the stethoscope. We hand them a stethoscope. We teach them how to use it. And then they use it in every clinical encounter that's where it's appropriate. And I think that is the model that needs to be put into all of our training programs as well, is to start using this as a tool in every encounter where it's appropriate. Thinking about another potential training need, I know that the Virginia State Office of Rural Health works to make sure that healthcare services are provided in a culturally appropriate manner. How can telehealth providers make sure that they have cultural competence when you know it's possible that they haven't even visited the community the patient lives in? Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, a couple things. There are cultural competence training modules out there. Um, there's also, you know, one aspect of telehealth is also video conference interpretation um, and having interpreters online and being able to visually see those interpreters. So that's another component. Um, I think one thing that we fail to think about is in this move to direct to consumer, um, there's no reason why when you're seeing a patient in their home that you can actually visually see what's going on in that home. And a lot of times with our providers who are seeing uh, patients in their home, particularly behavioral health providers, they're actually getting to see what's going on in that home in a much better way than if that patient were coming to their office. And so you really are um, engaging them in a cultural aspect that you would miss if that patient were in your office. And I think another piece with telehealth is being able to engage other family members. So even if a patient is in a hospital and let's say a clinician does rounds, um, typically, you know, if you want to have your family members who are there to support your care, they're going to have to sit around for hours waiting for that physician or clinician to come and do their rounds. Whereas and that would require them to miss work or miss school or wherever they happen to be. Whereas if 
you know, you can text a family member and say, hey, the clinician's here now, can you join? And they connect by video. They can be part of those rounds. They can get the care instructions. They can have that conversation. And so that too is a part of kind of increasing the cultural piece or the family piece of those dialogues. Family being very important in very many rural families. Absolutely. So you talked about, you know, the provider being able to see the patient's home and family members being able to connect remotely. And of course, this whole concept of of being able to, to see a specialist or other provider, all of that requires broadband. Um, and I know there's no broadband at my house. How does this work in rural areas? Yeah, absolutely. This is um, unfortunately creating a new level of disparity um, at at a point where um, programs were first developed and there were all these uh, a focus on rural broadband. Um, a lot of things were developed in terms of like loan repayment programs and broadband access and the universal service program. And I think some of that is starting to get lost with um, urban wanting to do telehealth as well as suburban. Um, and so I think this is an area where rural really needs to have a voice in saying, you know, we have access to some programs. We need to let people know about those programs, first of all. But there are some areas where even with access to like universal service program and with um, other broadband loan and deployment programs, um, there still are not providers willing to, you know, lay the fiber or light up the fiber that's there. Um, and so it is a place of advocacy where rural providers and rural uh, citizens need to say, hey, we need this broadband because it is not just, you know, a, an, an employment thing or an economic thing. It is a thing that will impact our health and our ability to have health care. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, our elected officials and other decision makers think of broadband as just something people use to look at Facebook, but it really is a, a very essential service for something like this. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially as we're moving into, you know, remote patient monitoring and being able to keep, um, you know, the elderly and the aging population, which is very prevalent in rural um able to be at home and able to live independently, we need to be able to have access to broadband, even direct to home and not just to the hospital and the healthcare uh, facility. Now, Matrix has a summit coming up this spring. Who should attend that? We hope everyone will attend. Um, It is definitely um, something for our region. And so Matrix covers a nine-state region. And we we very much encourage people, whether you are a provider or a school system, thinking about, you know, putting a school-based health clinic, um, someone who's really looking for ways to bring better care to patients. Um, we're looking at the whole kind of digital technology world and how all these things are converging and wanting to uh, showcase, you know, how we can use this in both rural and urban settings. Um, we do have a special pre-summit session specifically for FQHCs and, and community health centers, and our pre-summits are completely free of charge. And so we would love to encourage more FQHCs to be part of this. Sure. So in addition to attending the Matrix Summit, if providers in rural communities want to use telehealth to supplement their services, what steps can they take? 
So first thing they could do is just contact us. Um, our website is matrc.org, and you can get all our contact information there. Um, you can also go to the National Telehealth Resource Centers.org site um, and look at all the del- different telehealth resource centers throughout the country. Um, if you're not living here in Virginia or in our region, um, and connect with them that way. Um, your telehealth resource center is really there to help you navigate that. And I think one of the challenges that most people have is, you know, they think, oh, I, I want to use telehealth maybe, but I'm not sure how, or they think, oh, I just need to get the technology. And so I think part of what we do is help people navigate, you know, what are the use cases? Why do you want to use telehealth? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And I'm a big advocate on saying, like, define your problem first before thinking about what technology to use or whether it's affordable or not, because technology should be, you know, way down the line in terms of what you're, what you're thinking about. What you really should be thinking about is what is the problem I'm trying to solve first. So telehealth is essentially just one more tool. Absolutely. It's a tool in the toolkit, and we definitely want that toolkit to be um, available to anyone, whether you're rural or urban. And certainly for rural providers, there's so much more benefit to being able to use all the tools available. Now, if you could do anything, and we don't have to limit this to to telehealth, but if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? You know, I would provide incentives for creating new models of care. I think, um, and I've always been saying this, you know, I think rural is just a pure goldmine of an environment for innovation. Um, Telehealth started in rural, but it doesn't need to end there. I think because of the way that rural communities are set up, you know, people do know each other. You don't have to navigate 48,000 agencies to get, you know, one thing done. Um, I think we need to have conversations about how do we be creative here? How do we use tools? How do we think ahead and, and even leapfrog across over some of these urban settings. Um, I think this is an opportunity in rural, and I would love to see that happen. All righty. That sounds great to me. Well, thank you for joining me today, Kathy, on the Rural Health Voice. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's Dr. Kathy Wiberly, championing innovation in rural communities. If you want telehealth to be part of your toolbox, check out the Telehealth Summit March 31st through April 2nd in Williamsburg, Virginia. For details, visit vrha.org, click the calendar tab, and scroll down to that event. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.